<coughs> the physiotherapist looked me in the eye and she said, what's the matter? I said, I think I've got sciatica. So she said, bend down and touch your toes, which I did. She said, you haven't got sciatica. She never did tell me what it was, but it's been blooming painful. <laughs> and I've had it for about five months now. And it's hanging on, so I suppose I'll have to force myself to go and see the doctor unless our prayers are answered. Thank you. Well, I guess I'll go down in folklore of Great Parks Chapel at last because I am the first post-Brexit preacher. Hey, <laughs> eh? Isn't that an honour? That's the last time I'm going to mention the word. Some of you older folk may remember or recall the name David Watson, uh, an Anglican priest from mainly made, well, the Lord made his name in the 1970s. Uh, unfortunately, by the mid-80s, just at the age of 51, the Lord took him to be with him. Uh, but he was a great advocate of discipleship. <coughs> and a very prominent uh, figure in the charismatic movement in this country um, and also with the uh, New Frontiers Church and Vineyard. He was very much involved in all that. But he started out as just an ordinary Anglican priest and they gave him a, a church in North Yorkshire that was on the verge of collapse and they just gave him the last year before they closed it down. And before that year was up, they had to move to a bigger church because the congregation had grown so large. And after three or four different moves, he ended up in a church called St Michael the Belfry, which stands in the shadow of York Minster. You may well have seen it if you've been to York Minster. It's quite a dowdy-looking church. The only claim to fame is that Guy Fawkes was christened there. But David, he wrote some books and the book that he was really, I guess if you, if you use the word in Christian terms of being famous for, was a book on discipleship. And in that book he quoted this and he said, the vast majority of Western Christians are church members, pew fillers, hymn singers, sermon tasters, Bible readers, even born again believers or spirit-filled charismatics but not true disciples of Jesus Christ. We have drifted into a nominal, easy-going Christianity. They were from words from his book in 1981. And here we are in 2020. Has much changed? For you as individuals, or do you class yourself? Are you, are you a church man? Are you a pew filler? Do you taste the sermons? How are you this morning? How do you stand before your Lord and your Saviour? It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But how do you stand before your Lord this morning? Let's read together. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, please turn, but it should be on the overhead, hopefully. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. And he writes these words, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. 
I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where's this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the, word of that, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. How many of you are glad that the Lord didn't come 20 years ago? How many of you are glad that the Lord didn't come 20 years ago? Of course you are. Because where would you have gone? Exactly. It's his patience. Is why he's holding on. Peter writes to stimulate or store up minds of Christians who it appears are beginning to lose their bearings. Can you believe that? Just 30, possibly 40 years after Christ had actually walked this earth, the church was in the same predicament as it is in today. Even after just that short time. And the apostles, those that were still living, the apostles and many other Christians, including Paul and others, were having to stir these people up. They hadn't had 2,000 years to, to drift into lethargy. It had only been 30 or 40 years. You know, I've been reading these early Christian letters of Peter, James and John and Jude. It's amazing how relevant they are as you read them. It's just as if he wrote it yesterday. And one would hope that it wasn't as if he wrote it to Great Parks Chapel, but we need to ask ourselves, did he? Is the Lord intended it for us here this day? This first Sunday of the year 2020. Most of us are looking forward to seeing it in the year 2021. May never come. Live for today. For today is indeed the day 
of salvation. How does he intend to stir them up? How does he intend to stir them up? Well, he's telling them, recall scriptures. Recall what you learn. This is the way that Christians need to stir them up. It's good that somebody's going to start reading through the Bible. Don't try to read it as a novel, (laughs) but read it. In fact, try and read the Bible through three times in a year. Some books don't take very long, you know. And it's only the knowledge of God that you will find by reading your scriptures. And this is how God, how Peter is telling the, these, these Christians, look, I'm going to stir you up because first and foremost, what I want you to do is recall the words of the ancient prophets, the holy ones, and also the teaching that you received from the likes of me, Peter, the apostles, those that were given the authority by Jesus himself. Learn your scriptures. Somebody once told me you will never know God if you don't know the Bible. And someone's quite recently argued, well nearly argued me to death over that one, but I believe that. This is, this is what tells us about God. How else can you know God? This is his story, this is his biography if you like. And this is how Peter's saying to them, look, stir yourselves up. Remember what the prophets of old said. You've, you've forgotten it. How many people have forgotten? They've forgotten it. Go back to your scriptures. Go back to basics. We do need constant reminders. Thank God for these, these men, not me, but thank goodness for these men who come here week by week to stir up our minds as they preach the word of God. That's why we come. Not just to enjoy the friendship, although I hope you do, but you come here to stir your minds up so that as you go back into the world for another week of living amongst all the, the sin that is in the world these days, and you will do that, when you consider how much time you actually spend in the company of fellow Christians, compared with the amount of time, especially if you're a worker, you spend in the amount of time that you spend in the company of non-Christians. You need this. You need to stir yourselves up. You need to keep reminding and being reminded of what it's about. Strange, isn't it? Peter here talks about stirring up wholesome minds. I read a quote by Spurgeon, I can't remember it word for word, but he was saying it's possible to stir up unwholesome minds. And the devil's very good at that. But I haven't said that. Other minds can be stirred up. Christian minds can be stirred up by the wrong spirits, by the wrong words, by false prophets. And these are the people, really, that Peter's getting at this morning. Wholesome thinking, pondering and studying the words spoken in the past, not reminiscing about the good old days. That's not what we're talking about. But the things that happened in the past, the prophets, the holy prophets, and for us, the apostles that walked this earth and the authority of Jesus Christ. 
the inspiration of scripture. Get to know God through his word. It's the only way. I know I've shared this story with most of you, so you'll have to forgive me. <clears throat> but I think it's quite amusing, really, about the little girl who was seen scribbling away on her desk in Sunday school. And <clears throat> the Sunday school teacher asked her what she was doing, and she said, I'm drawing a picture of Jesus. And the Sunday school teacher said, well, you do know that nobody ever drew a picture of Jesus or took a photo, don't you? So no one really knows what Jesus looked like. And the little girl looked up and said, they will in a minute. <laughs> but the only picture we have of Jesus is in here. It is important that you read it. It is important that you get to know. You might not understand it. And to be perfectly honest, and I hope I don't get slung out of this place for it, some of it is downright boring. <laughs> Let me know how you get on in the book of Numbers. <laughs> but it's the inspired word of God, and it's where we find out about God. It's how we get to know him. Through his word. It's how we get a picture of Jesus. How do, we know he's, he, he, how do we know that he's gracious? Only by reading this word. Yes, we can experience his grace once we come to know him, but to get to know him, it's his word. Two things, you know, that uh, I can't... I'd love, to, I'd love a pound for every time I've said this. But two things that are absolutely essential for a good Christian life, a strong Christian life, and the closeness to God are the two things that we as Christians find the hardest. One is reading the scriptures and the other is praying. Is that true or is it untrue? Aren't they the two things you find the hardest and the things you don't particularly want to do? I could sit and listen to a sermon for a couple of hours. When was the last time I prayed for a couple of hours? It's interesting, isn't it? 2,000 years ago, Peter wrote this letter and here we have the vindication of this letter because by the very fact that today we meet such people as these scoffers surely is a vindication of this letter. <coughs> have you anyone, ever had anyone say to you, well, when's he coming? 2,000 years? Nah, nonsense. He's not coming. It's done with. You know, he died on the cross at Calvary, buried, finished. Yes, you can, you can worship him. He, had a, he was a good teacher, knew what he was talking about. If you live by his rules, you'll be okay. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, he is coming back. He is coming back. The last days, we often talk about, don't we? The last days... They began at Jesus' advent. These are the last days. We've had 2,000 years of last days. It means nothing to God, for a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. I can always remember 
here in uh, Beverly Shea. None of you young people are all going, who's he? Soloist with the Billy Graham Crusades. Always remember a line of one of his songs, time has no limit in heaven above. For he made all time. It means nothing to him. It means nothing to him. A lot of people use this, this, this letter and this reading as, you know, you Christians, you need to be patient. Yes, but for 2,000 years we've been patient. This, this, this letter is not about our patience, it's about God's. It's about God's patience. And, you know, these, these people, these, these people who would come in and, and into the, probably into the church as well, and, and, and were, were, were having a go at the Christians and saying, come on. Yes, he, he promised he'd be back, but here we are, 40 years have gone by and there's no sign of him. And here we are 2,000 years later and there's still no sign of him. It's not going to happen. But Peter says, remember your old scriptures. Remember your old scriptures. God formed the earth from the water, separated the water, but it was that same water that he used to destroy the earth, or humankind more so. God did work. God did punish. And Peter's saying he's going to do it again. Just because it's been 2,000 years down the line means absolutely nothing. And then in verses 5, verses 5 and 7, it's really interesting. It, um, but they deliberately, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. He promised never to destroy the earth again by water, but next time he will do it by fire. He did it once, he will do it again. And it's only his patience with us, his long-suffering, that is stopping him from doing it, well, I'm going to say stop from doing it this very day, but he could do it this very day. <coughs> but they deliberately put these things out of their mind. And friends, denying creation, denying creation, and denying what happened at the time of Noah with the flood. It's happening. It should set our minds as Christians because people do deny creation. When was the last time you heard it on the BBC, anybody using the word creation? It's always evolution. This which has evolved. Noah and the flood, come on. Covered the whole earth? Not possible. But there are two things that as Christians we need to believe absolutely. There's one verse in the scriptures that stands alone. I never believe in taking a verse out of context, but there is one verse in scripture that stands alone that nobody can argue with. Nobody 
in Christian circles can argue with or debate because it stands alone. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you don't believe that this morning, my friend, then you cannot possibly be a Christian. It's absolutely basic. God created and God will destroy. It's his right. He can do what he likes. He's God. Do you remember that when the in the um I can't think of the, the, the films now. What was the one with the lion? Aslan. Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe, is it? That's the one. Do you remember the Aslan? When the, when the kid is asked about the lion, one, uh, one question, the other one, and says, is he dangerous? Of course he's dangerous, he's a lion, said the other. It's God, is he dangerous? Of course he's dangerous, he's God. And he has the right to do whatever he likes with his creation. And that includes you and me. Adam and Eve and Noah's flood are essential for true understanding of God's working and purposes both then and now. To deny these things undermines the very foundations of our faith. Sadly today people do forget these things, thereby putting themselves in the place of the scoffers. How often do you hear people say, I've lost my faith? I guess the, the, the big high-profile high one was Jonathan Edwards, wasn't it? The Olympic gold medalist. There was a recently in one magazine I read that a, a fairly high-up um, guy in the, in the Hillsong uh, group of churches also walked away and said, I've lost my faith. Friend, you can't lose your faith. You never had it in the first place if you've lost it or you think you've lost it. Because when you stand before Christ on the day of judgment, there is either one or two things that he will say to you. He will say, good and faithful servant, enter my rest. Or he will say, depart from me. I never, I never knew you. You weren't a Christian once and you're not now. I never knew you. these people saying he's not come back ever since creation you know ever since creation uh, you know life goes on as usual nothing's changed God hasn't done anything we, we, we you know we're making our own way it's not true you know that ever since creation things have gone on as usual because the earth was different when God first created it and it was different again after the flood and it will be different again after Jesus comes again, which he will do. It's God's patience with us. It's not God's will that any should perish. And this time thing, this 2,000 years, what difference does that make to God? What was the name he chose when Moses asked him, who shall I say? And he said, you tell him that I am. 
I am the God of the past, I am the God of the present, I am the God of the future. <coughs> Not I was the God of the past or I will be the God of, I am. And it all comes into one. God, you know, time is, time is nothing. God doesn't wear a wristwatch. Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33, the Lord says, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their way and live. He will come like a thief. No warning. He will come like a thief. I caught a little bit of Professor Brian Cox talking the other day about in the humans, <coughs> how we will one day inhabit Mars. Well, you won't escape even if you inhabit it. Because that tells us very clearly, doesn't it, that Mars won't, you know, you won't escape, for the heavens will disappear. The heavens will disappear. The elements will be destroyed. There'll be no sun or moon. No stars. But the earth will be laid bare and everything in it. Behold, I will create a new heaven. For new heavens is the actual translation. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will be Sorry, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. You will remember nothing of this earth. Holy when it happens, Peter says, "What well, you know, in, in the light of this, in the light of the fact that you're living, knowing that Christ is, and believing that Christ is coming again, what sort of people should you be? Now here's the tough bit. You should be holy, you should live holy and godly lives. Hands up all those who have got that one uh, tucked away nicely. But there are things that God requires of us. Salvation is all about him. There's no question about that. We can't save ourselves. Salvation, the work of salvation is complete, but God requires things of us. And he does require us. He requires us to live holy and godly lives. How do you do it? How do you separate yourself from a world where you're living in it? Where sin is, it, it, it abounds everywhere. I mean, you can barely watch a TV programme these days for not wincing at the language. Or the sexual content 
You can barely read a book for the same reason. You can barely get into conversation with somebody for what they're not blaspheming. All comes down to the word and to prayer again, doesn't it? That's how you live a holy and godly life, not by shutting yourself away. Jesus lived a godly and holy life and he was about and about on the front line all the time. It can be done, he's the perfect example. But we need to read our scriptures and we need to stay in daily contact, hourly contact with him, knowing that as we go about in this sinful world he is never more than a breath away. And it doesn't matter what goes on around you. It's you that is required to live the holy and godly life. So what's the practicalities of that? Well, let's go right back to Peter, right at the very start of chapter 1 in this very same letter. Peter writes, strain every nerve, strain every nerve, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness. And then to godliness you can add brotherly kindness and love. That's the practicality of it. Strain every nerve of your being. Make every effort to add to your faith. You've got faith in God? Have you got your faith? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? But you're still filled? Do you remember Stephen was up here a few weeks back and he was saying how he suddenly felt that he needed to do a bit more? Well, that may be for some. The Lord may be telling some to, to, yeah, get up and do. But for others, he may be, will be saying to you, well, hold on a minute. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to do something else. But he doesn't give option on this one. To live godly lives. To strain every nerve. To strain every nerve. To add to your faith goodness. And then onto goodness, add knowledge. And then onto knowledge, add self-control. And all these things, and when you've done that, you will be living a holy and godly life. I can't find it for a minute. I'll try and find it as we sing our last song, because there was something I wanted to share that was um, interesting. <coughs> What's the new heaven and new earth going to be like? Not a clue. It's going to be good though. And I can tell you that for sure because Jesus is going to be there. Will he be any closer than he is today? He'll be visible. But he won't be any closer because we can have him here now. I don't know where you stand with God this morning. I don't know. We started off talking about discipleship. Are you a disciple of Jesus? 
because that was the last command, wasn't it? We often hear, we often hear it said, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But I don't know if it's Mark or Luke ends up by saying, go into all the world, making disciples of all men. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning? Or are you just a pew filler? Or a sermon taster? Or a Bible reader even? Or even a born again believer? But you're still not a disciple of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Revelation 21, 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. No sun and moon. I'm sure there is a place where the streets shine. Where that is, I don't know. But I know whose company I shall be in when I shall be there. And that will be with my Lord and Saviour. Will it be because I've lived a holy and godly life? No, it will be because he died for me on Calvary's tree. Because heaven will not be full of good people, it will be full of the forgiven. If you believe that this morning, then for goodness sake, ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sin, repent before him, and then make every effort, strain every nerve to live a godly and holy life. Guess what song we're going to sing? The 1011.